0: This is Joshua Bell with Kilt and the Cloth with our Tuesday morning Bible study on um, the book of Exodus. And we are starting in Exodus chapter 23 today. And I, I want to have a little bit of a conversation about ancient Hebrew or Jewish practices before we get into it. So <clears throat> one of the most beautiful part about when you look at ancient or medieval Jewish practices is, is that we uh struggle with this because we look at it through our 21st century eyes right like we, we think that it's going to be well it should be like this and, and, the, and the funny thing is is it's not even close to what we can understand except for those that grew up on a farm um, they're a completely 100% total agrarian society so they they are, they are they are they live off the land they take care of the land they are fully agrarian um you know one, one of the one of my professors i was just talking with last week with my tuesday evening bible study group was that the the funny thing is, is is that if you were to look at our native americans in the united states and you compare it to them it would be very it'd be much closer than any other culture than we have however there were a lot more rules and regulations in their ancient medieval practices but one of those is this This idea that God has entrusted us with the care of God's creation. You don't burden your animals. You don't don't burden yourselves. You, You have to take care of the land, so you don't burden the land. So a lot of the rules and regulations that get set up in this little passage here are specifically leaning up to Leviticus and Deuteronomy, because if you really, if you really break down Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they're farming practices um, for the majority of the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Now, there's some social stuff that happened, but I want you to think about these festivals that they keep talking about all the all time. That, you know, we do the festival of the booze, we do the festival of the weeks, and there's all these things, but the, the goal here is, is that we come together, we fellowship, and we rest And it's not just us, it's our slaves, it's our animals, it's the land. So when we harvest, we give the land time to breathe so that it can recreate new life. This is, why am I making a big deal out of this? Well, from the problem that we run into is is that when you get into the 21st century eyes, right, we think, well, that just makes total sense. But what they're writing here is, is monumental, talking about how we take care of the land and not overburdening the animals, not overburdening the land or the humans. Um, this is a monumental thing, even medieval ancient practices. When I say medieval, I'm not talking 14th or 15th century. I'm talking, you know, uh, 1500 to 2000 BCE. Like this is way, way before Christ. And you want to think of these nomadic tribes and everyone has these practices and rituals but then there's this weird group of what they call themselves uh israelites uh, or uh, jacobites not necessarily the way you think of it in the celtic world or you think abramites or you have these that say that they're uh hebrews or jews and there's this group of people that said uh we have to take care of what god's provided now the rest of the world does not understand that. Now that's where we can look at it through the 21st century. You know, on my way to McDonald's just this morning, I, I was frustrated that I had to wait for five minutes to get my sausage, <laughs> egg, and muffin. You know, that if you think about it at that time would have taken at least a week to prepare. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm complaining about the five minutes cow. that yeah. I have to sit yeah. Yeah, to, to, to spend less than $5. This this is not this is not the lens that we look at through ancient medieval practices of Israelite culture. So there's this part that I want us to be aware of as we read chapter 23. The other thing that chapter 23 does is, which is probably some of the most controversial, and we've talked about this uh, a lot in these these studies, is <clears throat> when you look at it through the 21st eyes, for 21st century eyes. There's a conversation about Israel claiming land. Uh, Today, um, where there's Palestinians already currently inhabiting and have for thousands of years. And what ends up happening is, as we start talking about the land of Israel, what does that look like? How do we find where there's a, ge- a geographic explanation of where Israel was? We're going to get that in chapter 23 today. And this is, this is being, has been used in legal battles that this is probably one of the most ancient texts that we have that talks about land ownership. Now, do you remember the beginning of this conversation that I said? Israel itself is a...
1: Agrarian.
0: Agrarian society, which means that they have to be nomadic. The idea of them claiming land was not something that they had done as an ancient practice. So somebody has... Not somebody. The Levitical priests have claimed this land as they were putting this together. Um, this is also a point of contention. This is this is similar to like what some people would say. And, and I'm and I'm I'm not spitballing, but I kind of am. But you know, you think the Pope says, "Well, we this is now in the a property of God." You know, um, you think Spain, think Spain, most. Uh, definitely like they go to Central America in the name of God and they commit mass genocide in the name of God tell millions of hundreds of and and maybe thousands of tribal people if you do not believe in God you will die and we will kill you in in the name of God right you see how this works and so this land has been destined for us to own so therefore if you uh, do not do what we tell you God will smite you by our own end. And the language that we've used a couple times, and I went back and listened to the recording just to make sure I said it somewhat right, uh, is we've said, you know, the phrase, well, if God didn't want me to do it, God wouldn't let. Me. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. This is this is a massive problem. But whole countries and cultures have led their, their political processes on this concept. So What it does here is is it does a couple things. It sets up this idea of the ancient medieval practices of agrarian culture that live as nomadic tribes, that they don't live in one space. And then the Levitical priests have now added, but this is the land of Israel before they get to chapter 24. (laughs) All in one chapter, they've done this. Um, it's kind of brilliant. I mean, if you if you really think about it, in the sense of when they're putting this together, they're also creating the last part of the highlight is the idea of the festivals. They give you a, a calendar year <clears throat> as to when they take place, how they take place, what are they for. This all takes place in chapter twenty three. And uh, remember, what I've consistently said is this: a lot of the things that we read in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy are about worship practices. This is why we do these things. This is why we don't do these things. Um, And the other thing that's important as we say that is is that it's about the we, not about the everyone. This is why the Israelite culture does this. This is why you should not be like the others. One of these passages that we're going to read this morning is going to talk about you shouldn't boil meat in milk. Uh, uh, is what it says. Well, it doesn't say that. I mean.
2: Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. In its
1: mother's milk. In its mother's it's milk. It's a specific thing, and they've made it. Meat right. and milk have to be separate dishes, separate. stuff right. right. Separate well, that's that's <laughs> a purpose. Yeah.
0: So the now we're setting up dietary law, but the mother's milk thing, uh, the Arab, uh, Arabic mm-hmm. culture, cooked their meat in milk. It made it the more tender. Mm-hmm. So. This is a, a dietary thing that they're saying. You don't need to be like the others. <laughs> cook it in water because God provides it. Now, I want you to think about that. Mother's milk, as, as Sally pointed out, is, is very specific. What is mother's milk designed for? Supporting the baby. Supporting the baby. So you should not be wasting what God has provided to take care mm-hmm. of the other animals and cook the animals in it. You're wasting mm-hmm. it. That's, that's given to you by God to take care of life. Do you see how interesting that becomes? Mm -hmm. And instantaneously, it changes the whole idea and the premise of it. So it creates dietary law because it's a worship. It's not just a a practice. It's a, we do this in the name of God thing. Um, So I think that's all I'm going to say right there. And then we're going to read and then break it down. One of these is going to take a little bit of time to talk about, but uh, any questions or comments? Yeah, I know Robert's ready. Go for it.
2: As we read through this, um, who's speaking here? Is this the priests for God or is this God speaking or are they going to move in and out of and do both?
1: The Lord. Way back in 21, it says these are the laws. The Lord is speaking to Moses. These are the laws you are to set before them and it never changes right, from there on. So it's the Lord speaking to
0: Moses. It's the Lord speaking to Moses, but the Levitical priests take a little bit of free will as to say well god said this and it's really something that they are already doing
2: okay it just if i remember right they're gonna move in and out of god told you to do this and god speaking i mean do this for me or do this
0: right and and i without going crazy on this the objective here was the Levitical priests are telling you that God told Moses to tell us this. So is it God speaking? To them, there's no difference. <laughs> they think they're God. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. They're
1: God's right hand.
0: They're God's right hand.
1: They get to say anything they want. And,
0: and they and they're and they're gonna get away with everything. And so <laughs> part of the <clears throat> so part of the and it's and it makes total sense. Like if you're writing the history, you're the ones in control, right? So <laughs> so for them it's not a problem for everyone else, it's it's uh, well, but that's not the way that works. Well, for them there was no separation.
2: And if I was, if I was the one writing this down, I would move in between.
0: Yeah, I mean exactly.
2: Personally, I would move in and out of uh, God's told us to do this, God, or bring this to me, or do this as I told you.
0: Well, that's kind of hard to not add editorial comments, right? Like, well, God told you to do this, and this is how. Right. Like, I mean, it's it's impossible to talk that way and let God just speak. I think the part that I'm having a hard time as we as we keep going through Exodus is we still think God is on the mountain speaking down upon the people. And they're all hearing this. And I think for the rabbinical understanding, God always is doing that, but there's these filters in between us at the top of the mountain and on the bottom. And um, so God's big voice is not covering the whole thing at this point, and they're okay with that. We're struggling with it because these are human laws. These are social and criminal things. These are worship things. And I want to know what God really feels about that. What did God actually say? Well, God told us very quick pieces. Ten Commandments. Ten commandments. And like you have said before, and then we had to make it more complicated. You know, It's but this i think 23 is probably one of the most fascinating chapters in exodus because of all of those things and it's a kind of short chapter so um but when we get to verse 10 we're going to stop and talk a little bit and then verse 14 so any other questions comments all right here we go (laughs) You must not carry false rumors, you shall not join hands with the guilty to act as a malicious witness. You shall neither side with the mighty to do wrong, you shall not give perverse testimony in a dispute as to pervert it in favor of the mighty, nor shall you show deference or deference to a poor man in his dispute. So I I lied, I'm going to stop a little bit off and on. So this is a judicial practice, and, and we know... That through ancient writings that there there were practices in the ways that they would try c- court cases uh it was as a conglomerate really rather than a jury-based trial or a judge-based trial you had you had your judges in front of you notice i said plural judges in front of you and you would make your case and then there would be people that testified on behalf of you and and so if you think about this false witness, in, you, want to, you want to think it very primitive, right? Um, what are they trying to get? Well, they're trying to get property. So if Robert has a cool car that I want, and, <laughs> and he is being accused of theft, and I go and stand with this person that says he accused uh, Robert of stealing eggs, I figure out, well, if I talk to the judge, maybe he'll let me have that car <laughs> or the goat really, this is what kind of happens. This was something that happened a lot. And so uh, <clears throat> even in the Jewish uh, translation society, it's talking about to, to do things as, yeah, as a juris, jurisprudential principle that meant that in judicial rulings and legal questions are to be decided not simply by invoking the literal interpretation of the Torah, nor by invoking new revelations, but by flexible interpretation or a loose construction of the Torah, based on the circumstances determined by a majority of competent sages so you have instead of peers right you don't have a jury of your peers you have a competent group of your elders that are doing this on behalf of you because they, they're going to know that i want robert's car <laughs> you see how that works and so this 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 becomes something that we think well that's just cool that's a... we know that they did that we don't know if they did anything else that they mentioned in leviticus and deuteronomy so so you want to think about it even in the time i'm going to use jesus as an example the trial the mock trial who's he standing in front of
1: pilot and the sanhedrin
0: so there's ah yeah let's go with the sanhedrin first okay so Pilate's whole governmental system has nothing to do with the sanhedrin at all but they want to use that system to make their end meet. so the sanhedrin does anybody know who the sanhedrin what they consist of Huh? So there's going to be some elders in there. <laughs> Priests. Priests. is a governing body. It is a governing body. Uh, of at this point, they're the governing body of Jerusalem. They're. Um, what else do we know?
2: Isn't their main purpose is to uphold Torah? I
0: mean, yes, the main process of them is to uphold Torah, specifically the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And they can use what we're going to read here in a minute as case-by-case uh, case situations. They also consider that by the time that Christ comes, the Sanhedrin has been uh, not manipulated as such, but has been overrun. Like So now you have Sadducees and Pharisees and you have scribes and priests and judges and elders all in one group. Does this say having a whole lot of people <laughs> that makes that sense? No, it's the rule of 10. You have more than 10. Anything goes crazy from that point on, right? The Sanhedrin has uh, has like at this point, I've, I've read some places say there's 30 or 40 of them and they're all making this decision. Well, what, what does that end up be? The loudest voice. Hey? The loudest voice <laughs> becomes mob mentality. So at the time that Jesus' trial of, of, in front of the Sanhedrin, he was being tried for Torah offenses. Specifically what? Uh, Sabbath. Healing on the Sabbath. How dare you heal someone on the Sabbath? That's what he gets tried for. They, they, can't, they can't prove it. So what is that? What is it end up doing? The mob mentality says, "Well, he still has to be punished because he's speaking out against us." So what do you do? Well, you use the governing body. You use the Romans.
2: Take them to Rome. They'll kill anybody. That's that's literally what it is. <laughs> now remember what
0: I've said to you all in the past. Rome could care less who Jesus is. Now we've made it this this beautiful, fantastical story like Pontius is like this really great guy or, or really bad guy or just really different. Honestly, he could care less who Jesus is. He literally is the flea on the back of an elephant. So in his mind, this Jesus guy that's being brought by their governing body, the Sanhedrin, the reason he's in trouble is is he's causing social insurrection. We can't have that because shortly before Jesus was killed, they were having riots. And Pontius is going to make an example of somebody. And he says, okay, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. But uh, yeah, let's go ahead. We'll, we'll go ahead and kill him. So the Romans really didn't care, but they made an example of him specifically to say, if you try to do social instruction and you upset the same leaders, we'll kill you publicly. No problems whatsoever. You're just, you're just meat. A lesson for the public to learn. A lesson for the public to learn. Now, with the way we've read the story and the way we tell the story is, is, well, the Sanhedrin manipulated Pontius in order to make that decision. He could care less what they have to say. I mean, I'm, and I'm being very flippant. No, I'm, not, I'm being very, very truthful on this. Every time we fa- the fantasize about this death story, we make it sound like the Sanhedrin coerced Pontius. He barely even knows that they exist. All he sees is this guy's a social insurrectionist and we got to kill him. So his death was not in vain because he then becomes one of the very first martyrs. And then it goes from there. So you see how much of a big difference that this passage means, even if we look at it from a 21st century lens? From this point on, if you stuck with that, it would have been okay, but they don't. They make it more complicated. You see how that goes? Let's keep going. when you encounter your enemy's ox or ass wandering you must take it back to him oh my gosh that's so awesome (laughs) when you see the ass of your enemy lying under its burden and would refrain from raising it you must nevertheless raise it with him because it figured out that it takes two to take the weight off the donkey's shoulders so you must help them even if they're your enemy why we gotta take care of our animals (laughs) You shall not subvert the rights of your needy in their disputes. Keep far from a false charge. Do not bring death on those who are innocent and in the right, for I will not acquit the wrongdoer. That's God speaking. That's where Robert's asking. I will not acquit the wrongdoer. Do not take bribes, for bribes blind the clear sighted and upset the pleas of those who are in the right. You shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the feelings of the stranger having yourselves been strangers in the land of Egypt. So right there, up until this point, we now have had this moment where we're talking about social and criminal ideas, taking care of animals, taking care of one another, not bearing false witness, right? Now it's gonna change gears. Six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But in the seventh, you shall let it rest and lie fallow, a.k.a. just letting it rest, letting it breathe. But uh, let the needy among your people eat of it and what they let the wild beasts eat. You shall do the same with your vineyards and your olive groves. So you're, you're just, you're not trying to harvest it as hard as you did before. You're just letting everybody participate from it. And then once that end of that year is done, then you go back to business. We have no anthropological evidence that they ever did this. That's the fascinating thing for me. This is what we would call the year of Jubilee. That's where that comes from. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall cease from labor in order that your ox and ass may rest and that your bondman and the stranger may be refreshed. Does your say slave?
1: Name servant and stranger, so so stranger. your slaves so I, and visitors, and mine's
0: foreigner. So you would see how that again, there's that Torah. We must take care of the stranger as well as our servants. Be on guard concerning all that I have told you. Make no mention of the names of other gods; they shall not be heard on your lips. Three times a year, now now we now we're establishing festivals. Three times a year, you shall hold a festival for me. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. Why is unleavened bread important? It's what they had when they left Egypt. That's right. For seven days, you eat unleavened bread for seven days, as I have commanded you, and at the the set time of the month of Abib, for in it you went forth from Egypt, and none of you shall appear before me empty-handed. And the feast of the harvest, of the first fruits of your work, of what you sow in the field. And we're going to just pause right there. This gets misinterpreted a lot. Um, the first fruits of your your stuff is, you know, all, all of you know something of farming a little bit. You know, you don't harvest wheat at the same time you harvest corn, right? So it's it it, it takes in consideration that you're not going to be able to do the festival for everybody at the same time. <laughs> I, know, I know that seems like it should be common sense, but a lot of people seem to think that so that they just have festivals all year round. You know, I mean, you think about it we we harvest we harvest things at different times so you're supposed to have a festival there celebrating the first fruits of your labor. The in, the interesting thing for me is this, we know that they did this one. Um you you know that from the book of Ruth. Do you remember? They were harvesting. They were harvesting and the out, on the outsides of the harvest that's where Ruth was able to gather the, the leftovers. And then they have the harvest festival where Naomi tells them to go into the, the grain bin and uh, we'll basically make Boaz uh, her husband. We'll just leave it there. Um, he's in the grain bin because he's, he's, he's drunk too much. <laughs> like literally, that's what it says in Hebrew. So, so there's this, we know that this festival took place. But we don't know when, right? So it's, it says at the first festival, at the seven days, at the, at the set time of Abib, for any you went from work first and even able. And then the feast of the harvest, of the first fruits of your work, of what you sow in the field. Well, notice that there's no date set. Because that could be at any time.
1: So we chose November.
0: So, yeah, yeah, that's a good way to say that. Yeah, yeah. so Americans, uh, we chose uh, November. And Do you so, think
1: maybe that's kind of because, because of the the weather? Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. You're yeah. not going to be harvesting wheat in the snow. No. <laughs> so And they have you know.
0: snow, too, by the way. Everybody needs to know that. There's snow and their weather system is very similar to ours. It's not what I thought at all, so... <laughs>
1: So they just kind of lumped it all together and said, and there's not going to be any more harvesting at
0: this point in time, so we'll have a festival. Yeah. And they could have it multiple times a year. Like, that's the other thing. That, that's why they don't set the date. So this group could harvest wheat at this time. This group could olive, harvest olives. This group could harvest grapes. And every time that they harvest, the first fruits are given to God. Right. Josh? Yes, Betty? Oh gosh, it's
1: scary. <clears throat> when America was started with wheat, they didn't have what we call winter wheat. They only had wheat that grew through the summer.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, no, that's been that's been engineered differently now. So and and yeah, so we and, and for us, we we took the, the idea of this festival, it's passed on all the way through the Europeans. I mean, you see this throughout history, like this idea of festivals of harvest. I'm going to blow your mind for just a second. Just a side side note. It seems as though anthropologically almost every single culture throughout history has some form of harvest festival. Um, the Celts did it in the spring. Um, we, you, you know that the, even those that are in Russia, they did it at, at certain times of the year. We know that in China there was a, uh, harvest festival that they would do in the fall it seems as though every single culture anthropologically has a harvest festival and just coincidentally unless i said rabbit trail they all use that as a moment to lift up their deity uh the mines and the aztecs did it of course they did theirs with human sacrifice but you know that's <laughs> that's a that's a whole different thing but there's a. It's interesting to me that the Hebrew culture in their primeval um, early stages are talking about why we're doing this and it's different than everybody else. But throughout history, anthropologically, almost every culture has a harvest festival of some form. Um, Even the Egyptians. Even the Egyptians did this. So uh, just had to throw that out.
1: Okay. Mine says the pilgrimage of the unleavened bread was celebrated at the regular time in March, the month he left Egypt.
0: Yes, yeah. March. So that's that. That's so that. Uh,
1: that's <laughs> unleavened bread.
0: Yeah, and, and so
1: they had one in the spring too. I guess they celebrated.
0: Yeah, and and yes. The, mm-hmm.
2: Well, if you couldn't set a date because that date might fall right in the middle of harvest. That's right. <laughs> <I> mean, that's,
0: <laughs> that's right. right. So we, we, we know that you're going to have up. to have a piece of unleavened bread, and it could be during right in the middle of purpose.
1: How did giving um, the first fruits of your work, what did they do?
0: Yeah, so I mean, there's no, no temple here.
1: <laughs> took it to the tabernacle? They don't have a tabernacle, a tabernacle either. I don't know what they did then.
0: You took it to the priests, and oh. they didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> this this is a prime legal no There's <laughs> no rules for this yet okay i'm glad you caught that part <laughs> yeah so there's nothing we don't know what they did with the first fruits did you use that for the party I don't know. <laughs> uh, probably not the priest wouldn't give it up <laughs> yeah say, that's
2: yeah. what the priest has to live on all year long <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's right uh well this 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 i had to go back to the uh to the commentary because this is it was really really good on this one so like the first one this jewish festival called the feast of the unleavened bread is now known as called Zeman Chere Tenu, which means the time of our freedom. The second one that we talked about, the first, the feast of the harvest, also the day of the first fruits, becomes what we know as the feast of the wheat, which then is something that always falls on the anniversary of the giving of the Torah, which is known in Hebrew as Zeman Matan Torah Tenu, which means the time when Torah was given. It's only an agricultural festival and it's not connected with the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Now, the next one, this is where it gets fascinating. So we know the Festival of the Weeks, that, that happens. We have that anthropological proof that they did that. This next one, I'm gonna read it and we'll talk about it. Uh, what was it, 16? Feast of the harvest. Yes. And then, uh, and then the, and the work which you saw in the field. And the feast of in gathering at the end of the year when you gather in the results of your work from the field. This becomes fascinating. The this feast of the ingathering becomes known as the feast of booths, sakat, which literally ends up becoming uh Zeman zim Chatenu, which means the time of her rejoicing. It was at the end of the year, so at the end of the the agricultural year, which might have been in the winter time which is kind of why we celebrate jesus's birth around that time of the year nothing's going on it makes sense that they're traveling um and it would make sense then at the end, gathering of the end of the year you go to be with your families right so the luke has a lot of um liberty and so does matthew about why they're going to that place but there's this this idea that's that's not unheard of at this point the end of the year's happened they're not they're not harvesting they're not working plus joseph was a carpenter so it didn't really affect him as much (laughs) but um so there's these 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 huge three festivals um now according to the jewish translation society this would have been like september through october for them uh would have been the end of the harvest season which coincidentally is also ours really at the end of October. So um,
2: so the first one it says feast of uh, harvest first fruits just literally means whatever the a crop is the first crop that they're gonna that's right they're gonna celebrate and then the other one is it's cold that's right. It's not <laughs> raining. There's nothing else going on. I haven't thought about that yet. There's
0: nothing going on, but we should have a festival.
2: So we're going to celebrate, just like you said. We have time now. Mm-hmm. All our work is done.
0: Yeah, and there's something awesome about that. It's the sixth day. It's the sixth day. we we'll tomorrow. That's right. Yeah, I mean, there's there's something awesome about that. I mean, we started the discussion off when I was talking about how awesome it was for them to think about how they think of time as rest, you know, something that we don't do well with. We celebrate Thanksgiving on one day. Now we take off time <laughs> from work, but really it's one day. Christmas, it's one day.
1: But we have long weekends both times from work.
0: That's the idea, right? Three days.
1: Well, or more. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right, if you're, if you're lucky. Thanksgiving
0: three if you're lucky, and Christmas mm-hmm. maybe four. Right. When well, Carmen was an accountant at the... Uh, She was doing tax accounting 26, she was back at work. Like, you know, you don't we we tend to forget that not everyone gets to have all those days off. (laughs) This is saying everyone (laughs) takes those days off. I
1: think that's the reason everybody likes Chick fil A because it's closed on Sunday. People get to go home and they do get to rest. There's something awesome about that. Everybody likes (laughs) working in retail. I've always struggled with the fact that. The Christians had to work. Those that don't believe in Jesus, they get to celebrate. Basically, they get more time off <laughs> <laughs> because they take they observe the Christian holidays and then they observe their own religious mm-hmm. holidays. There was and some- if you don't give them their time off, it's like. Is this fair? <laughs>
2: yeah. That's that's because we moved it from a Christian holiday to a, uh, a commercial holiday. That's a government holiday. Yeah. It's recognized. By yeah, I that, I just getting ready to say,
0: that's, that's a massive difference. If you look in Europe before the institution of the United States, right, before that happened, that when, when Martin Luther really kind of breaks off the conversation about how we celebrate Christmas, it was a week-long festival. Now, granted. He was extremely anti-Semitic. So, at this point, they're celebrating Hanukkah. So he he was like trying to say, "Well, if they get a crazy night, so do we." So uh, he he, it, I, I don't want to make it sound like Mark Luther's so great and awesome. But he was awesome. I'm not going to do that. But he really did try to say, "Well, you know, because he didn't Jew people, right? Like in that, he literally says that in his language. Um, writes a whole thesis just about them." Um, But they celebrated it. They celebrated the birth of Christ. Where do you think nativity scenes come from? Where do you think? That's right. All of this this idea becomes, uh, for them as Christians, it was a week of celebration. Easter. Why do you think we called it Holy Week? They took the whole week off. There was no questions about this. You didn't do anything except for go to Mass. When we created the United States... Those practices were still being practiced until we said, well, we need to have a governmental holidays so they don't mark us off from work and we don't get paid. Mm-hmm. And it changed the whole way we did things. The other thing that we did, and you know, I think it was a beautiful sentiment, but it as you've pointed out, it kind of cuts our nose off to spider face, is we we allowed this idea, and I very firmly implanted in the idea that this freedom of religion or the expression of one's religion that we cannot penalize them for that. And our Christian holidays, the Christian holidays that we did not stand up for, we just acquiesced and said, thank you so much for giving us one day for Christmas. That's what happened. And and, uh, I'm only speaking on my own little soapbox there, but you look at it historically, Christians in the United States said, well, we want to work. We like this idea. This idea of working six days a week and taking one day off, but if I can work that seventh day, I got a whole extra day of pay. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what ends up happening. So, um, our idol is money. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> that's yes, right. ma'am. And the other cultures, and in our in our problem is why we, it frustrates us, is that they don't have that problem. They don't look at it the same way we do. And here's your proof. <laughs> here's your proof. This is this is uh, we're okay. We can take a week off. We can take. Sometimes it could take two weeks off and they'd be all right with it. That's the idea of being able to do that three times a year just terrifies me.
2: But, <laughs> but they're operating back in, back to the Gregorian society.
0: There you go. That's <laughs> the other problem we run into. We're looking at it through this 21st century American lens that we think of paid time off, <laughs> right? Like this is, this is their way of life. They don't even think about it that way. Well, they're not
2: getting paid.
0: No, I mean they're feeding each other. They're. It's, I, again. It's it's hard for us to read this and then go. But how, that's not that's not how that works. For them, it did. <laughs> and I would argue that I think we could learn something from that. There, well, let's keep going because it gets it gets deeper. Wait, while you
1: were reading that, I was saying... During the harvest season, you know, in Kansas, I mean, August, the combine, I mean, everybody was talking about the combines and all that kind of stuff, and it kind of reminded me of this. Oh, yeah, no, that's exactly what After harvest season was over. Remember,
0: we always had big, big, uh, big parties, you know, that's uh, at the end of harvest, everybody got together and we cooked a big meal and celebrated it together. All the families worked together, you know, when I was in Kingman. Mm -hmm. Part that blew me away was this, there were so many Mennonites around us that at the end of harvest, we would always just go to someone's barn and there would be this huge feast, right? And and I never thought about that as like weird until I left it. All of a sudden I realized, oh, we're not, nobody's harvesting wheat here. Like this is, this they do is that weird. In Hallmark movies. They do, they do it in Hallmark movies, yeah. but they still do it in Cayman to this day. <laughs> like it's 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 it, it's right it's, it's uh you see it in the movies but there are still cultures in the United States that do that and and uh, my favorite part was the steal you know, I say the old guys there was this guy named uh, uh Bob Fairchild and he was just the saltiest man I ever met in my whole life like you didn't know you were afraid when he would talk in public because something would come out of his mouth that, that would be super super inappropriate but at the end of harvest, because he he did he did wheat, he did milo, he did uh, he did uh, corn, and at the end, you know, we got to October, and he also did cattle. By the time he got to October, he always took a cruise, and and, then, and he would say something about, "Okay, preacher, I'm out. Keep me in your prayers, so I don't offend everybody on the ship. I'll see you in the week." And I said, "Thank you, Jesus." That's all he said. You know, I mean, but he he got it. Like at the end, when he got to October, I'm going out. I'm going to go to Colorado. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. Again, we still don't. And he didn't. He didn't worry about getting paid because that's his whole life. He spent all spring getting to that point. Now, now it's time to rest. Mm-hmm. Not very many people could do that today, but he did.
2: Not very many people understand that one paycheck a year. I mean, right.
0: Right. Right. Thanks. Right.
2: That partial, a lot of that is left because uh, we're no longer dependent on others. That's right. you, If you can buy your tractor, then you can harvest, you can plant everything yourself. My uncle owned a farm and, and you can see how as he prospered, there was, of course, he had a huge family, but there was less people involved outside people
0: mm-hmm.
2: i mean it literally came down to where there's three or four erased peanuts which is is a flurry at the end and at the beginning and in between you hope know, i got to hoe peanuts with my granddad when there wasn't anything out there to hold. So yeah. half a mile one way turn around half a mile the other way smart and, man and then back and forth he went you have a lot of time to think anyway um, all <laughs> There's just as 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 things progressed, there's just less need of other people other than the co-op. That's right. I mean,
1: yeah, I was gonna say you have to have somebody to buy your stuff,
0: and and that's again that's another lens that we don't they don't have. Yes, yeah, they're not, they're not they they selling use. anything; they're, they're using it or bartering or whatever. That's right. It's amazing, right? I mean, like this—we're just in verse 16 at this point. Look at how much it's affected us today even let's keep going 17 Uh, 17 three times a year all of your males shall appear before the sovereign your lord it's a little bit of a weird statement but you shall not offer the blood sack blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened and the fat of my festival offering shall not be lying until morning anybody catch the fact that there was nothing there all your males shall appear before the sovereign your lord every three times a year Where do you think they're going?
1: <laughs> well, they don't have a place yet.
0: They don't have a place, but there's an implied idea
1: that they will have a place. That they will
0: have a place. And the Lord will be there. The Lord will be there. So if you were to make a, because you're all Bible scholars at this point, right? <laughs> if you were to if you were to make a, a an educated guess, where do you think these three men would go? Well, these men would go three times a year on me in, in front of the Lord.
1: Well, I should go to, to pray, but they don't have a tabernacle or a temple yet, so
0: they're... Right. So this is written backwards. It's saying... This is what you're going to do someday. This is what you're going to do someday. Not now. It's telling the men now, this is why you have to go to temple three times a year. Is
1: this is the um, insert... You call it this is a levitical Bible. priest insert <laughs> yeah. yes yeah but it's written as though the lord said it
0: exactly notice that there's no women in there
1: no no or children mm-hmm. no they don't count
0: this uh the commentary says something to the effect of that this was probably designed in such a way that the men were supposed to go be praying on behalf of their communities um and the women i mean you're not going to ask pregnant women to travel except we do in the gospel of matthew and luke but i mean other than that nobody else cares but in this in this moment that this idea for them wasn't crazy like this idea that the men are in the tabernacle or the temple talking about god three times a year or presenting themselves presenting their offerings three times a year
1: I also see it as getting together. Hey, you how your crops to do this year? You're yeah. Lousy, you know, or, well, I planted this kind of wheat. But, well, I planted this and I did this. I mean, you know, I, yeah. I see them kind of as a, you know, that's, that's a tool. probably, probably, probably a tool what tool they encouraging did. And, encouraging yeah. Yeah. and just a time of, um, I don't want to say socializing, but learning. By socializing. By socializing. But I don't know. They just the socializing. In wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. My Hebrew Bible <laughs> professor Dr. Davison would say those are the three times a year that women were happy to see them go. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. 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 knew right. where they were going to be. Yeah. This is a uh, this is this is another part that the commentary talks about here is the fact that there's the Hebrew translation here is interesting in the sense that they're literally seeing God. Now, the only place you can do that is in the Holy of Holies. So uh so it's an interesting translation of course it's ancient right so it's before all of these other things but i just had to point that out that three times a year these men literally put their face in front of god except
1: they can't go in the holy of. that's right
0: no then that's why they leave that off (laughs) so you know so it's this because it hasn't been created yet yeah so there's this idea
2: um so what word would they be using here which one for god well, they're back, sovereign Lord, then your God, because they're the ones that can't say. Or put I think
0: a we're still in Elohim
2: at this point. This is, I think this is Lord. I think that's well, right. They're moving back and forth between. I'm just. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's okay. I want to make sure I'm saying that correctly. So we're in Exodus 23, 17, They're just
2: setting the rules in so. 17
1: and 18. I mean, 19. <laughs>
0: Oh, this is the YHWH.
1: Oh, okay.
0: That's uh, and then it's the the Lord. There is uh, Adon, so this is this is totally. That's what I was meaning. So, like the the YHWH is literally the word they they don't pronounce. It's uh, we end up translating it into Yahweh, but that's not even a real translation. Um, it's uh, there's not there's not a way to say it. So. So this is, a, this is why the commentary is saying here, they're literally seeing God's face, not the sovereign Lord, which they add ha adon at the end, which is a Hebrew term for Lord, the Lord, like a, a dictator, like a, a king. So God becomes king to them and they present themselves yeah. what, three times a year.
2: I would take that as a promise, not as a rule.
0: Yes. No. 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 That's a very good assessment. You're going
2: to get to see three times a year. Three times a year.
0: But there's an implication involved.
2: You're going to present yourself to him,
0: right? To to the king. Uh, The other cultures are doing this. You present yourself to the king. You present your homage to the king. Tax time. Tax time. (laughs) Most likely three times a year. So. Cool. All right, let's keep going. Uh, Nineteen. Nine, Nineteen. What did I do? The you shall. I didn't finish the. 11. You didn't finish it. Yeah. And the fat of my festival offering shall not be left lying until morning. Again, we don't have a temple yet, but there's an implication that there's a, a burnt offering. The choice of first, the choice first fruits of your soil, you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God, which you do not have. Created yet, but evidently they do. You shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. You shouldn't burn goat meat, boil goat meat in the mother's milk. We just talked about that earlier. Yeah. So I'm not gonna be dead, dead horse.
2: Now here's where it gets cool.
1: That's
0: uh, right. I'm sending an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I've made ready. Pay heed to him and obey him. Do not defy him, for he will not pardon your uh, offenses, and since my name is in him, but if you obey him and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and a foe to your foes. And when my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I annihilate them, you shall not bow down to their gods in worship or follow their practices, but shall tear them down and smash their pillars to bits. You shall serve the Lord your God, uh, and he will bless your bread and water. I got to check something real quick 23 verse 25. Yeah, it's the, it's the YHWH. You shall serve the Lord your Yahweh. Uh, and, and he will bless your bread and you, your water, and I will remove sickness from your midst. No woman in your land shall miscarry or be bearing. and I will, I will let you enjoy the full count of your days. I will send forth my terror before you, and I will throw into panic all the people among whom you've come, and I will make all of your enemies turn tail before you. I will send a plague ahead of you, and it shall drive out before you the Hivites, the Kenites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, and I will drive them out before you in a single year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply to your hurt. I will drive them out before you little by little until you have increased and possessed the land. This is, this is, here, here you go. This is what we talked about at the very beginning. I will set you, your borders from the Sea of Reeds, you all know that is the Red Sea, to the Sea of Philistia and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. That's a huge piece of land. For I will just deliver the inhabitant of the lands into your hands and you will drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not remain in your land unless they cause you to sin against me. For you will serve their gods and it will prove a snare to you.
1: Which did happen.
0: Which definitely does happen.
1: It did. (laughs)
2: So mine says from the desert to the river.
1: Well, the Euphrates was the biggest river around.
0: And remember that this is an ancient text versus the one that most of us have. So the Jewish translation society took it from Masoretic text, ancient text, and then came up with this translation. So the Septuagint is going to just say river. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just that's all.
2: I'm just going back to what you're saying that they're using it. Yeah. And understand that's the biggest river, but <laughs> why not pick
0: <laughs>
2: any of them? Titans from the, yeah, the from the Nile. Nile. We're going to go for
0: it. Let's go all the way to the Nile. Yeah. Let's get us some money here. We <laughs> don't want to be things. Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> the, Do you notice that it was going to be God and then the angel driving them out, and then it was going to be the people, which is what it ended up doing, except God obviously helped them?
0: That's right. You will drive them out before you. Exactly. We went a long way. Now, interesting thing for us today, geographically, uh, from the Sea of Reeds, which we now know as the Gulf of Islat, into the Sea of Philistia, is the Mediterranean off the coast of Philistia, is.
1: Well, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be as far as what they took.
0: Right. Yeah. But we know that we have a name for that today. It's the Gaza Strip. Hmm. That's the Gaza Strip, which they didn't take. Which they didn't take. Just kind of fascinating.
1: God did say when He called Abraham that He would give him a land.
0: He did say that. Yeah, He did definitely say that.
2: And these are all probably relatives, just sure. distant. I mean, sure. Yeah, I, I, unreli-
0: I, These are second and third cousins. They don't really count anymore at this point to them.
2: <laughs> well, they're not the chosen.
0: They're not the chosen ones. They did not escape from Egypt. They're not.
2: I just find it intriguing that this isn't other countries necessarily that they're fighting. They are, but but they're not. It's not like Egypt or Persia or...
0: No, they're They're fairly adamant about who it is, right? You know, you've got Canaanites, uh, Parasites, Hittites, Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will, or the Amorites. Don't forget that, and he annihilates them. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: And you're supposed to take the land quick, because you don't want the animals to take
0: to take over it. That's right. You don't want to go to the wild people, heathens.
1: Well, it says I will not drive them out in a single year in this translation because mm-hmm. the land would become desolate because you're not a big enough group that you could take that land and take care of it and keep the wild animals out. So I won't do it in a single year because you wouldn't be able to take care of it. If, uh,
0: the land has to grow. People have to grow. You have to grow. The tribe of Israel has to get gigantic. Well, right.
1: I thought it was pretty gigantic already, but evidently they
2: don't. It's, it's big enough. That <coughs> Egypt was afraid of it.
0: Well, and then, then you got to think about it also. It goes back to Abraham. What does he say? Stars of the sky, stands yeah. of the sea. Yep. We're making room for a lot of people. which <laughs> should make sense why we see what we see today.
2: So they're moving, but they're moving back from being farmers to their taking the land, but they're capturing cities. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I believe or understand that almost all these people live or have a city.
1: Mm -hmm. And vineyards and orchards and crops and
0: everything that God has
1: provided.
2: And water will still be there, but when you was talking about owning land earlier, I think they had wells. They fought over wells. They tried right. to really fight true. over the that's land. Right.
0: Yeah, that's right. Where's the water? So we're gonna stop there. Okay. Because then it's gonna go back to Moses. <laughs> and then the story changes again. Because then he creates a, a ceremony. Um and so we have worship. And then my favorite part of Exodus, we get to the building of the tabernacle in chapter 25. <laughs> So excited. And then we
1: have to hear about every single little
0: That's right. piece, which we may or may not read, but just for the fun of it, we will definitely talk about. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording there.